What do we mean by patient leadership? For those of you who don't know Mark and myself, we have sort of parallel careers. I had profound mental health difficulties in my 20s and early 30s. Mark has rheumatoid arthritis since he was 25. I have a history in the patient and public engagement movement. Mark has a history in leadership and learning and development. But we do more than that. We're actually about wanting with you to transform the way the NHS operates. So this journey, let me start with a story. About 25 years ago, after six years, almost literally on my knees in the psychiatric unit in Barnet Hospital, day after day, actually wanting to die, I was recovering, reasonably lumpy in a way, and wanted to change things for and with other people. And I wanted to be an activist, I wanted to develop self-help groups, I wanted to do something. What I got was a seat on a committee, and I learnt to wear a tie. I now have a better tie. And I was funnelled, shoehorned, coerced almost, into an institutional subcommittee of the Barnet Strategic Health Authority subcommittee on something or other, and asked... David, so what do patients think? And suddenly I was representing everybody. I fell back on my story. Everyone decried me, marginalized me. So I had limited opportunities, no clarity of role, and certainly no training or support. I got frustrated and irritated and lapsed into the echoes of my old behaviors. It felt to me on a different level that this was the system playing out at strategic level. It was mirroring and echoing my own experience of being on my knees. So I got frightened and angry and got marginalized, or I got very tame and complied. Nothing changed. Somehow, many of us make a career in the so-called engagement world. We become user involvement leads, we become practicing. There's a weird world of smoke and mirrors out there that doesn't lead very far in some ways. But what I've discovered, I think, over the last 20 or 25 years is there has been improvement involvement. Jonathan asked, has there been press practice? Yes, there is. But what we see now, broadly, broadly, and I caricature and I generalize, is an engagement industry that relies on activities and processes at the margins, does a lot of research into it, has a lot of one-off projects and fait accompli consultations and committees and structures that actually buffer against change rather than catalyze it on the whole. And I got frustrated in a PCT, in world-class commissioning, and I felt there had to be another way in. And I thought, there's the Leadership Academy, £50 million worth of money towards investment in clinical and managerial leaders. I've done patient and public involvement forum training for people. I've done a bit of facilitation. But surely there is a community of people, of patient leaders out there, who require learning and support. And with Mark, over the last three years, we've coined a, t a term called patient leadership, which we'll talk about in a minute, and coined the notion of patient leaders. And here we are today, three years later, talking about it. It's extraordinary. And Mark, if you like, has provided the flesh on the bones for the work we do with his leadership and learning and development. I suppose I'm slightly more strategic one. At, at times, although Mark brings me back down to earth on that as well. So why do we need patient leadership now? Recession, 
restructuring madness in the grip of the recession, involvement structures changing yet again, wider cultural changes, social media, demographics, and yet we still have the same old engagement systems and structures in place. What's that about? We can't go on in the same way as before. So much rhetoric. I've never in 25 years of being in this patient movement, user movement, citizen movement, seen so much rhetoric around patient-centered care. It almost feels like desperation. Serious, seriously interested and wanting to do it, but not a great deal of grip on how. Little sense of how this is going to happen. We did some work with the MAC partnership. I don't know whether any of you know Andrew Craig, Public Involve on Twitter, for the Department of Health and later for NHS England around what commissioners and providers really want to involve patients and the public in, where patient and public involvement fits in the new system. And they said, we want two sorts of conversations. One, post-Francis, we want something about quality and safety and outcomes and patient experience. We want to work with people in order to do that properly. Two, we want to have conversations with public communities and citizens about transformation and change. Two very difficult sets of conversations. And three, we don't want the old structures. We want something different. It's not meeting our purposes. And then along came Francis, and I thought, this is great. The man has supreme intelligence, has supreme diagnostic skills, and a list of 194 recommendations, and nothing about patient leadership. In terms of engagement, what has happened with Francis is it's about listening harder, more data, more feedback, more focus groups, more stuff coming from patients, ACA children, to us, parents, professionals, who will listen harder, act with compassion to people rather than with, and sorry, we'll go away and we'll decide what to do. In fact, unwittingly, Francis has exacerbated the worst of institutional paternalism in the model of engagement structures and systems that are out there. It's still parent-child. It's not about us with us. It's for people and it's compassion tinged with a few pockets of really good people who are doing excellent work. At the center of power, there is a three-legged stool, or should be. You have clinical leaders and managerial leaders talking about patient-centered care. You would not, I don't think, bear with me, the women amongst you, if we were here talking about women-centered care, who should be leading that? If we were talking about black-centered care, who should be leading that or have a say at the table? This is no different. Patient leaders are the third leg of a three-legged stool. And until things change, things won't change. And we're heading for a very long recession if patients aren't part of the solution and patient leaders aren't part of the solution. Don Berwick went part of the way part of the way, so near yet so far, a guru of mine, Don Berwick, fantastic on involvement from ward to board. But if you look closely at the recommendations of the Berwick report, 
Where does he invest the freight and the weight around where the training for leadership should be? Professional leadership. There is nothing about investing in the capacity and capability of patient leaders to take their rightful role in the new structures and the systems. It still largely defaults, when push comes to shove, to the old way of being. You give us over your views and we'll still decide things for you. Interestingly, I believe Bruce Keogh in the Keogh Review actually models something very different. Three patient representatives, I would call them patient leaders, we can talk about that in a second, who had parity of esteem on each of the review teams, who were part of the dialogue, who are now influencing the CQC to think differently about the role of experts by experience and think about modeling a framing of dialogue and partnership on a review team which should model the sorts of conversations that happen out there in inspections and in, in service delivery. And we're actually hopefully working with the CQC around the, the skill set needed for those inspections. But there are huge challenges to this agenda. And the workshop that Mark will lead after this break is about what are the challenges and opportunities to patient leadership. There was, it's funny, are we in the Maynard suite? Yeah. It was Alan Maynard that tweeted, wasn't it, Alison? Alan Maynard tweeted on Saturday. Yeah, he said, um, he said, this leadership stuff, it's all a bit of a jolly fraud, isn't it? And I tried to resist. You know how Twitter's really dangerous, really dangerous for me. It tweeted back, actually, you know, we, we know this stuff. It's not. And yes, he's right. There needs to be a benefits case for NHS organisers. David Jones from Diabetes UK says, David, you've got a double sell. You've got to sell it to the NHS and the organisations, and you've got to sell it to the people themselves, citizens, patient leaders themselves, about why this is necessary. Yes, we need evidence of a particular type. But fundamentally, for those of us like Dominic and others, the two Dominics in the room, if we're from the mental health service user movement, this is about our right, a rights-based approach. Actually, we shouldn't have to be arguing always a utilitarian evidence-based case for something that is so gobsmackingly, astonishingly clear that patient leaders need to have a say in patient-centered care. I mean, why is that a problem? But I think it may be. Who's seen Shrek 2? 2. It's very important, Shrek 2. There's a moment when Donkey and Shrek are hanging upside down in the dungeon. They've just been arrested for something. <laughs> and Donkey talks a lot and says, I have a right to be silent. I have a right to be this. I have a right to be that. And Shrek says, very weary, Donkey, you may have the right, but do you have the capacity? <laughs> so we have a right to be involved. We have a right to have parity of power. Where is the capacity and the capability? Who actually are these people that we're talking about? I'll come on to this in a minute. So for Mark and myself, it's deceptively simple. Patient leaders are those people who live with a life-changing illness, injury, or disability, or long-term condition, or person who's looking after a person with a long-term condition. We're not talking about we're all patients, a, a jot to the A&E. It's people who are living day in, day out, on the receiving end of care and treatment, whose life is framed by that experience, fundamentally. Yeah? 
It's about those people at whatever stage of their involvement journey in their own care and treatment, in the care and treatment of others, who say, you know what, I want to change things. It could be my stepsister with asthma. It could be somebody like me who's at the other end of the spectrum who's had past conditions in mental health. It could be anybody. And it's about patience influencing change. Full stop. For us, there's something about dialogue and the mindset and the role modeling of a particular type of leadership quality that we concentrate on big time. It's about working with, not against. It's not polarized, give us our rights, complaining, all that stuff. It's about working together with professional leaders to create and embed solutions to the healthcare problems we have. And people mistake this for representatives. We're not talking about representatives. We're talking about peer-to-peer -peer support workers. We're talking about entrepreneurs. We're talking about activists in the community. It dovetails a lot with Alison McGregor's work on Altogether Better. There's a resonance around solution-focused, around working together and the partnerships and the dialogue. So we have different roles. Many people want to be entrepreneurs. And it's not just about service delivery. We're talking very closely with Simon De Negri at National Institute of Health Research about the role of patient leaders in research. There are people like Anya here who's working in education and training. It's about patient education of professionals and it's about leading the design and delivery of education and training systems. So we're talking about across the silos. It's about creating a pool of talent and I might want to do a bit of research, actually. Thank you very much. Oh, and I'm going to do a bit of work with my CCG. Create the opportunities around me, and I can come and help you. It's not about funneling my expertise and sucking the very lifeblood and energy and passion of my vision for patient-centered, making me wear a tie and turning up on a Tuesday <coughs> night when actually I'd prefer to be watching the football. This is about dogs. Dogs hear words that you say. You may say things, but what they hear is blah, blah, ginger, blah, 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 blah. Let's have a word about patience. Oh, that word. 25 years debating the subject. Let's not do it too much. Okay. For us, we love lay leaders. We love citizen leaders and community leaders. The work we do is focused and grounded, taking people with their own experience of life-changing illness, injury, and disability, and working with that. Because I know what patient-centered care looks like in mental health. It's not about my knowledge and experience of what happened to me and whether I had coffee in the morning. It's about my vision of what I wanted to do with my life and my self-leadership, beyond self-management, of where I wanted to go in my life. And it's that self-leadership that is at the basis of a wider seabed for strategic leadership. Fundamentally, there is something within the experience of living with a condition that equips you to be a strategic leader. You have to be creative every day of your life. You have to be entrepreneurial. You have to be. And you can see receiving services what they should be like. And you can take that with a little bit of reflection and learning into the strategic sphere. People mistake us sometimes for being elitist because they have a traditional assumption around the word leader. We're not about that. You can lead wherever you are. It's about self-leadership, strategic leadership, wherever you are. It's more about the qualities and the mindset which Mark is going to talk about. So we put these two words together, 
patience, which is contested, and leaders. Lo and behold, we get patient leaders, and actually it's Marmite, because people come to the phrase and the language because they hear what they want to hear, and they make assumptions about both words based on their own outmoded definitions of what those terminolo- that terminology means. So if you are in the realm of thinking patience passive, da-da-da-da, if you think leaders are hierarchical and a bit like, I know, some people in the NHS, therefore you will automatically react against this word. If you see it as about the qualities of leadership, whatever the role, then something different becomes emerging. Okay, we, we have been known to be a training provider. Yeah, we, we do that, we do that, but we're more interested in the transformation of culture and the culture change that comes with it. I was on the phone to a nursing director in a hospital the other day who wanted us to come in and train some patient representatives on two warring patient panels. The governors had come in and done something. Patient panel were familiar with going around their committees and talking about their experience. And we suddenly thought, this is wrong. Because what she said to me was, you know what? I've got 20, you know, five, 20, thousands of people coming through our doors. I've got 10,000 members of my foundation trust who I send a questionnaire, questionnaire and a newsletter to every three months. And I've got the governors. I know these people could help. How about if we developed the pool of talent? And we said, you know what? What do you want to do? How do you want to help us? How can we create opportunities for you, around you, and provide that learning so you can come into improvement pathway work, you can go and befriend, you, what ideas have you got for change? And you create the support around where people are, rather than sucking them in and say, you know what, you're very good, come and sit on my committee. By the way, here's 200 pages of an agenda, and next Wednesday, please, be, please be smart. Our vision of patient leadership is about tapping into that talent. What a waste if we carry on seeing them and us, patients and professionals, professionals and patients, professional leadership, talking about patient-centered care, and we're not there. Where is that going to go? It's a dead end. We are but one road, okay? So you're going to hear about Alison McGregor's amazing work. You're going to, you know about Paul Hodgkin on patient opinion. You know about digital strategies. You know about citizenship. Healthwatch England are beginning to do some excellent work. There are people coming from different directions. Ours is an offer of just one road. Many roads, one path. We don't have the answer. We have a model which might help. So I appeal to the patient leaders here not to be disheartened over the next few years. There will be and there is significant resistance, significant co-option and plagiarism and adaptation. That's true for any social innovation. That's par for the course. I appeal to any professional leaders here to see us as partners. Mark likes to talk about a jigsaw puzzle. We're all part of the jigsaw puzzle. Thank you.